from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by, by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raises, raises us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Um, would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, as we meet this morning, I pray that we would see this beautiful message, this glorious message, this amazing message. Yes. This is awesome, God, and I pray that you would capture us with this word this morning. Lord, you would receive glory from this. Ask us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Um, it is good to be here, uh, and I'm glad you're here. If you heard that passage, and it doesn't make sense to you, and you're not quite sure what's going on in this passage, this is a good Sunday to be here, because this passage is really one of the central messages of Christianity. This is what it means to be a Christian, to follow Christ. And so if you don't know what's going on here, this is actually a great Sunday because it is so central to what we believe as Christians. However, if you do know this passage, and you might know these, some of this passage even by heart, you might have had to memorize this passage as a kid because it is one of those central pieces, it's still a good Sunday for you to be here because, as you know, this, this, this letter was written to this church in Ephesus, right? The city of Ephesus. Paul went there. There were people converted. He started a church. And this letter is really to this church in Ephesus, to the Ephesians. There's one other place in Scripture where the Ephesian church was addressed, and that's actually in the book of Revelation. And it's John writing down Jesus' words to the church in Ephesus. And when John writes down Jesus' words, these are the words that Jesus says to the church in Ephesus a little bit later on. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. You are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. You see, Jesus is praising them for their good works for the fact that they are being diligent, right? that they are doing the things uh, that they should be doing. But then he goes on and he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned 
the love you had at first. And see, the, the Christians in Ephesus had been hard workers. They were known as diligent workers, doing the things they needed to do. But it had become something of a routine or something of an obligation. They had forgotten the basis of their works. They had forgotten their first love. They had forgotten that God had loved them first. And so if you hear this passage this morning and it doesn't excite your soul, it doesn't kind of rev you up and get you excited and bless you and encourage you, then maybe you're in the same place as the Ephesians were, right? That you have forgotten your first love this morning. So this is a good Sunday for you as well. Uh, and, and I'm simply going to go through this passage. This passage kind of teaches, teaches itself because there is a progression here from one thing to another. Uh, there is, uh, there's kind of like a, a past, a present, and a future. And so I'm kind of just going to go along those lines uh, as we look at this passage. And the first part I'm going to call is the BC life. Verses 1 to 3 is really the BC life, the before Christ life, right? And, and if you look at these uh, verses, you'll see it's characterized by a few things. One, if you're living the BC life, and some of us, even some people here in person or online might be living the BC life right now, the before Christ life. But we have all been there at some point. And in the BC life, the first thing is you're dead. You are dead. That's what it says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And you might say, I don't feel dead. You know, I have a pulse. But... In the BC life, you're dead. This doesn't mean physically dead. This means spiritually dead. And you are dead because of your transgressions and sins. And those two words in the Greek mean a little, two, two different things. Transgressions is really about trespassing. It's about crossing a line. Right? When you trespass, when you transgress, you, you go over a line. And you do something that you're not supposed to do. But this word for sin in the Greek is actually an archery term. And you might have heard this before. Uh, it's an archery term. And it means to miss your target. Right? You have a target in archery, and you shoot the arrow. Right? And you miss the target. And that is the word sin. And so it's, it's not doing something that you should do. So you've got both trespasses doing something you are not supposed to do, you should not do, and also sin, not doing something that you should do, missing the mark. And we have all been there. We have all done both of these things. And because of that, we are spiritually dead. And the second thing is, is that we are enslaved, right? And we are enslaved to a few things. One, it says, you followed the ways of the world. We are enslaved to the ways of the world. In this language of enslaved, we heard some in Galatians. We actually heard a lot about that in Galatians, right? To be enslaved to the ways of the world. And right now, oh, there we go. And right now, uh, it, it's easy to do that. Isn't it easy to be enslaved to the ways of the world, to the ways the world thinks about things, to the ways the world goes about seeking power, seeking prestige, seeking fame, seeking money, all of these things. And, and it's easy to get caught up in that uh, and, and, and even follow those things because uh, if money becomes the most important thing to you, in reality, 
you become enslaved to the power of money. Right? If fame is the most important thing to you, you become enslaved to seeking fame. If knowledge and intellect is the most important thing to you, you can become enslaved to seeking knowledge, intellect. Uh, if being patriotic, if being woke is the most important thing to you, you can become enslaved to those pursuits. If political power is the most important thing to you, you can become enslaved to seeking political power. You could say this about any, any types of things, and it is easy because the world bears down on us all the time. It's easy to be caught up in the ways of the world. Um, and in fact, our culture actually encourages us to do this in many ways. Uh, you even think about how social media amplifies this, right? Social media amplifies um, uh, the, the reality that we, he we just hear the voices that are similar to ours. And so we become more and more enslaved uh, to the ways of the world. Um, but the second thing is, and he says here, uh, verse two says that in the BC life, you not only become enslaved to the ways of the world, you become enslaved to the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, who is that? That is Satan. That is the devil. That is who the Bible calls the adversary of God. And he is real. You might not believe it. You might say, you know, I don't believe that. But that is actually one of the great deceptions that he uses. That you would not believe that he actually exists. You can be enslaved to spiritual forces of evil without even realizing that you are. And then the third thing you are enslaved to is your own sinful desires. And this is... Uh, you know, if you think back to Galatians just a few weeks ago, Galatians talked about this a lot. Paul talked about this a lot to the Galatians. Uh, but gratifying, he says, you are gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Now, recently, a couple years ago, my family got, got me a, um, a smoker grill. And so we've been really into doing smoked meat. And, and so we've tried a lot of different things. I've done uh, sausages and lamb and chicken and ribs, but my favorite thing, absolute favorite, is beef brisket. Have you ever had smoked beef brisket? Oh man, I should get some amens for that at least. Um, that, that is one of my absolute favorite things. And it takes about 12 hours of work. You know, you gotta keep the temperature just right. Uh, I don't have one of those automatic smokers where you just kinda set it and forget it. You actually have to like manage it and you know, keep the temperature just right, about 12 hours of work, but then it comes off. I hear an invitation. Absolutely, you guys can all come over. <laughs> and it comes off and you put it on the table and you, you make that first cut down the middle and you, you, know, you slice it up into slices. And, and I'll usually start with a, a couple good slices, right? And, and then I'll eat the rest of my meal, but, but it's still sitting there on the middle of the table. Right, so I'll say, okay, I'll, I'll cut myself off one more, one more slice. Right, that, that'll, that'll be good, that'll probably do it. Right, and I eat that slice. But it's still sitting there. And it's still calling my name. And it's still saying, you know, just one more slice and that'll be enough. That'll be, you know, and, and so before I know it, I've, I've eaten way too much. I'm not going to tell you how much, but I've eaten way too much beef brisket because it keeps telling me that just one more bite and then I'll be satisfied. That, that'll be enough. But, but you know it lies, right? Because it always says one more bite, but it's never quite enough, 
is never quite enough. And that's the same thing with our sinful desires. They promise that one more, one more taste, one more bite, that'll be enough. But it's never enough. It's never enough. And when we feed those desires, we are enslaved to them. And so we are not only spiritually dead in the BC life, we're not only spiritually dead, we're also enslaved to the ways of the world, to Satan, and to our own sinful desires. But then the third thing in the BC life is that you are condemned. You might say, whoa, that, that escalated really quickly, right? But you are condemned. It says, by nature, we are deserving of wrath, of God's wrath. And that seems harsh. It seems harsh, right? But it's based in who our God is. Because God is both holy, right? He is, he is perfect. See, God never trespassed. He never did something that he was not supposed to do or that he should not have done. He also never sinned. He, ever, he never did not do something that he was supposed to do. God is perfection. God is holy. But God is also just. And because we have done those things, those things are deserving of wrath, of punishment. He will punish the wrongdoer. And that's us. And so the BC life, you are condemned. And that's, that's kind of the bad news. But you have to know the extent of what that looks like in order to know how good the good news really is. And so uh, I'm going to read verse 4, but I'm going to actually switch to the ESV version here because I love the way it starts. I know we're reading from the NIV, but the ESV version starts like this. It starts, But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, and so this is what I'm calling our but God life. We got our BC life, where we are dead, we are enslaved, we are condemned, but God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And this tells us more about what God does, but it also tells us more about who God is. Yes, God is holy. Yes, God is just. But how is he described here? He is rich in mercy. Our God is merciful. See, he doesn't have just like a little bit of mercy. He's not trying to scrape together just enough mercy for you and me. He is rich. He is wealthy in mercy. So no matter how great the debt of our sins and trespasses, his mercy is greater. And the second part of verse 4 goes on and says, because of the great love with which he loves us. And here we see that God is loving. And God is not just loving. God loves us. Just sit with that for a minute. Can we just sit with that this morning? God loves you. God loves you. And 
feel like we've lost the meaning of that sometimes in our lives. Have we lost sight of that simple fact? My, uh, my, my wife and one of our kids was going for a walk the other day. And, uh, and this particular one, uh, one of our kids has been having a lot of struggles with Zoom school. I don't know if you guys can relate. Uh, amen. I get some amens for that. Uh, but he's, he's been really struggling. Um, and uh, it's been hard. It's been hard for him. Some of it is, is ways that he might not be focusing well or doing well. or you know, the, Some of it is just the, the, the interaction is not, is not really suiting him. And some of it is just technological issues. Right? But as, as they talked about it, um, you know, he kind of got to the point where he looked up at her and said, Mom, I'm so sorry. And he just, he started weeping. And, and there was this sense of like, there's something wrong with him. There's something, you know, that he is not good enough, that he is not enough, and that maybe, maybe he has lost something from us. And, and she, she looked at him and she said, you know, there is nothing that you could do, whether you do great or whether you do nothing at all, that could change our love for you. And I think that's what we need to hear, too, from God this morning. There is nothing we could do to change God's love for us. See, I think sometimes we have become so intent on overcoming our own sin by our own power that we forget the fact that God loved us even while we were in the midst of our sin. We've become so consumed with doing what we think God wants us to do that we forget that he loved us before we did anything for him. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. And so this but God life is characterized by a few things. One is that he made us alive. The but God life, he makes us alive. It says, even when we were dead, in our trespasses. He made us alive. See, God is, God is in the business of making things alive. You look at Jesus and his ministry on earth, he was always, not always, but often, bringing people back to life, right? Lazarus brought back to life from the dead. And, and I think sometimes we kind of get this picture. We, we say, well, God rescues us. God saves us. And sometimes I think we get a little bit of like a, uh, you know, a rescue light picture where, where you know, if, if you'll imagine, right, if, if you're drowning at sea and you're in the middle of the ocean and, and you're going down and you're trying, but you see a boat on the horizon, right? And there's this really gracious sea captain and he sees you and so he comes alongside and, and he, you know, throws out the life preserver, you know, throws out the life ring. And then you grab it and you, you pull yourself in and, and you guys are working together to, 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 to rescue you. And I think that's the picture we get. But the picture in scripture is not that. The picture in scripture is where are you? You are dead. You had no part in your rescue. It's not that you reached out and grabbed a life preserver. It's that you were at the bottom of the ocean 
no pulse, and God reaches down and pulls you up and brings you to life. He makes us alive when we are dead. And we have no part of that. We did not do anything. It is all a gift of God. This is why it says no one can boast in anything that they have done. The second thing is uh, he raises us up with Christ. Now, this is interesting because a lot of Paul's writings, he always says, he has this, this you know, way of talking about how we relate to Christ, and usually it is we are in Christ, right? We are united with Christ in some way, uh, in Christ. But here he says we are with Christ. We have been raised up with Christ. And that relates back to Ephesians 1 when he talks about Christ being raised up from the dead to life. And now he says we are raised up from the dead to life with Christ, alongside Christ, just as Christ was raised up, that same power is working in us. And then finally, I love this part. It says he seats us in the heavenly realms. He seats us in heavenly places. And that is an actual past tense verb, right? We have been seated in heavenly places. So did you know right now, if you are in Christ, you are seated in the heavenly realms, does it feel like you're seated in the heavenly realms right now? Usually not, right? If we're honest, it's hard, to, it's hard to capture that. It's hard to remember that. But that is your current reality if you are in Christ. You are seated in heavenly places. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that when you're sitting in Zoom school for 18 hours a day, does it? Or in, or in Zoom meetings, work meetings. That doesn't feel like being seated in heavenly places. I challenge you this week. You know, in, in those Zoom calls, remember, you're not just in a Zoom call. You're seated in heavenly places right there. Right? He has raised you up from death to life and seated you in heavenly places. So, just to recap, the but God life. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love that he loved us with, has made us alive, has raised us up with Christ, and has seated us in the heavenly realms. And so, so far we've looked at kind of the past, right? The BC life, the before Christ life. We've looked at the but God life. But, but, but I said there was a progression, right? And there's a, there's a purpose, there's an end, there is a future to all of this. And the future is this. It's in verse 7. This is why he is doing all these things. I love it when Paul explains why all this is happening. Sometimes we wonder, like, what's God thinking? Right? But here, we see some of what God's thinking. Through Paul's writing, he says, this is why he does this. He does this in order that in the coming ages, he, God, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us, in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So why is he doing it? God is doing it to show off. He's doing it to show off his goodness to us. He's showing off his grace, and that's expressed in kindness to us. Isn't that beautiful? Oh my goodness. Um, and this is so much better and bigger than I think anything we could ever dream up for ourselves, right? For our own lives. Uh, if you think about the goal 
Where is your life headed? Where uh, are you putting your value, your worth? I mean, what is bigger than God showing off in your life, how great he is in his kindness to you? That is a beautiful thing. And so what does this mean for us? And this is, uh, this is where we're going to wrap up with these last few verses. And these are verses that are really well known within the church, uh, but they don't just stand on their own. This is a summarization, right? An explanation of all of what has come before and what, is, what Christ is doing. So let's look at verses 8 to 10. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so I want to see from these verses, as we, as we kind of close up, I want to suggest a few points of application, of, of places where we can take this and really see it uh, in our own lives. See what this means on a day-to-day basis. Uh, And the first thing is that it is by grace we have been saved through faith. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith. So the first thing is today, if you are still living that BC life, that before Christ life, and you are coming to the realization that you are spiritually dead, God's mercy is rich enough for you. God's mercy is available to you. See, the the plan all along was that Jesus would live the life that you could never live. Jesus never trespassed or sinned. He never did something he shouldn't or didn't do something he should have. And so he lived the life you could never live. But he also died the death that you should have died. See, we stood condemned, and he was condemned in our place. And so it is by grace we have been saved. That word grace basically means it is a gift. Our salvation, the things we are saved from, from death, from enslavement, it is a gift. It is by grace we have been saved. This is God's initiative, God's work, and God's call on our life. We did nothing to earn it. We simply receive it. And we receive it through faith in Jesus Christ. See, faith, according to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so if you find yourself in this place today where you realize you are spiritually dead, then cry out to the God who can make you alive and he will answer. But many of us here have already entered into this but God life. And so here are my encouragements to you today. One is don't go back. Don't go back. Especially in today's climate, in today's world, where we have so much stress and anxiety and uncertainty. There's a pandemic going on. There is an election happening. There is both on a national scale, on a community scale, family scale, individually, just times of conflict and tension and anxiety. And these, uh, this, this can tempt us, this, this kind of uh, environment. 
we are tempted to go back to the things uh, that we used to run to, right? The things that used to enslave us. Uh, and you know what they are for you in particular. So what are you tempted to run to? What is promising you either escape or success, pleasure or relief, right? But you know that these things do not deliver on their promises. What are you tempted to go back to? You know they will never be enough. Don't go back. And the way we do that is to remember who made us alive in the first place. See, remember our first love, just like the Ephesian church needed to remember its first love. Remember who made you alive in the first place. We did not pull ourselves up out of our sins, and we can't do it again. The psalmist says that it is God who lifts us up out of the miry clay. He is our rescuer and redeemer. He is the one who animates us, who makes us alive. See, the gospel is not just like a one-time punch ticket to heaven. The gospel is an everyday reality that we depend on God's grace. We have been made alive, but we need to remember that, to live in that reality each and every day. And so when you're tempted to go back, don't just try to resist on your own willpower. Cry out to God who made you alive in the first place. Um, and then secondly, I want to encourage you to lean into the work that God is already doing in your life right now. Uh, at, the, at the job that uh, I, used, I worked with uh, Pastor Mason for a few summers, one of, one of the things we did was we put teenagers to work in, on service projects um, uh, working on people's homes and yards in Dorchester uh, in the summer. And I always prayed, I don't know if you remember this or not, Pastor Mason, but I always prayed for heat. I always prayed for those hot, hot summer days and even summer weeks. I prayed for those 100-degree days with high humidity where you're just dripping in sweat from head to toe. And, and that, that was not a very popular prayer, uh, amongst my staff team and amongst the, the teams I worked with. But there was a reason I prayed for that. And it was this, because most people could handle one of those days, right? One day when it's 100 degrees, high humidity, you're working outside most of the day, uh, there's no AC in sight, and you're surrounded by teenagers, right? Most people could handle one day. Some of you guys are saying I couldn't handle even one day, right? But... What happens when you get to day three or four of that? When you get to day three or four, what happens is everyone's guard is down. All the masks are off. If you're good at faking it for a day, you're no longer good at faking it after three or four of those days, right? And, and so uh, who you are comes to the surface, comes out, and that is when God can begin to work on you. Right? When you have to acknowledge those things that you try to hide, those things that are deep down inside, that are buried, those issues that you have, and they start coming to the surface because of the situations around you, because of your circumstances, that is when God can actually do his work. And ultimately, that is when God can show you not just your shortcomings, right? Because that a lot of times is what it is. It's your shortcomings. It's your sins. It's, your, it's the ways you have offended God. 
or other people. But he can remind you that his riches in mercy are greater than that. And that's when God begins to work. And that's a situation a lot of us find ourselves in right now. Um, and so let's, let's not fake it. Let's not pretend that everything is okay when it's not. Let's use this as an opportunity to lean into the work that God is doing in our lives. He is revealing things that are deep inside that we need to bring to him and release to him. And, and we've seen this happen uh, in our church. I've, I've met with a few families, and, uh, and there, there are people who um, are, you know, uh, struggling with anxiety and are now uh, seeing, seeing therapists to, uh, to work on deeper issues in their lives. And God is working on them on things that they never thought God would, God would work on, right? We've seen parents have to... Uh, acknowledge their own sinful issues when they are dealing with their kids 24-7, right? You see your own things even reflected back in your kids, right, parents? Like that's, that's a real thing. And, and so uh, lean into the work that God is already doing in your lives. And, and, and this is where God can remind us that we are not just loved for our ability to keep it all together, to maintain a good job, to raise a respectable family, or any other goal we have. But we were reminded that God loves us before any of this. And that doesn't change. Uh, and then finally, the last point of application is really based on this final verse of our passage, which says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so my final point is, is to encourage us to, to love each other well. Love each other well during this time. Uh, this verse might seem a little bit disconnected from the rest of the passage. I mean, didn't Paul just spend a whole lot of time convincing us it was not about our own works, but it was about God's work on our behalf? But then he says, we are created to do good works. So what's going on here? Right? See, the message of the gospel that we are saved by the grace of God actually frees us up to love people the way we were intended to love people. See, the, the, the saving work of Christ transforms our lives so that we can love others in the same way that he loved us. Paul will go on in the rest of the book of Ephesians, from pretty much from here on out, and most of, most of what he's talking about is about relations relationships between people in the church. How we love each other and how we love people outside of the church. Because the good works that Paul is talking about here, they are always relational. In, 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 in the Christian faith, good works are never just about building up my own individual good works. Good works are always in relationship to other people. It's about how we are loving our neighbor. This is the second greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. These good works are always based in relationship. And so we love each other not because we think God will love us more because we love each other well, but because we already know how much he loved us, how rich his mercy is for us. And it says here, and I love this part, 
that we are free to love in these, these ways because he has already prepared these good works for us in advance. And that can be very comforting. What's happening in our world today seems very uh, out of control sometimes. But God has already prepared these good works for us to do in advance. And so let us love each other well. So that's my encouragement for you this week is, is let's live more fully in the but God life. See, God is the one who made us alive when we were dead. He is the one who lifted us up out of slavery. He is the one who brought us from condemnation to be raised up with Jesus and seated in heavenly places. And it is because he is rich in mercy and of his great love for us. Would you pray with me?